Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Dear Heavenly Father, may be glorified in all that we do here this morning. You are the creator of all things, and all that we have comes from your good hand. You are compassionate, faithful, loving Father. Move our hearts this morning to accept your will, to desire your will, to submit to your will, and remove from our hearts any idols that compete for our allegiance to you. Let us respond to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Let us recognize that he is shaping us into the image of Jesus. And we give thanks for his protection, his guidance, and his discipline. Let the beauty of Christ be evident in our eyes this morning, for he is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. There are many in our congregation this morning that are experiencing difficulties with health and relationships and finances. We ask that you relieve them of these burdens this morning. Refresh them to see that your mercies are ever new and that you never waste or hurt. Bring healing and comfort to those that are in need this morning. And then we bring our attention and thank you for our missionaries that are even now preaching and teaching and serving in other countries, cultures, and settings. Bless all that they do with your favor and cause them to prosper. Let us be faithful in giving of our finances, of our prayer, and our time in helping them to do an important work. Bless those that have answered when you asked, who would go for me? And they said, here am I, send me. We pray this in Christ's name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Mark chapter 6. We are going back now to Mark after a summer break which we study Genesis and the faithfulness of God as shown through His providence. We now move back down to the redemption calendar as we're getting closer to that time when redemption will be finished. Looking at the Gospel of Mark, Jesus, the Son of Man, looking at His later Galilean ministry and His rejection from His hometown, as we may recall, the first half of Mark's Gospel is dedicated to the demonstration of Jesus' authority over sickness and over nature in the demonic world. In quick review, Mark has written a brief account of John the Baptist's ministry, Jesus' baptism and his temptation. He then narrated Jesus' interaction with four fishermen that he would later call to join him in ministry. He also shared Jesus' teaching and the various responses from his audience, ranging from amazement, astonishment, and wonder to anger, disbelief, and rejection. Jesus cast out demons, he healed the sick, he calmed the sea, and he even raised the dead, as we saw before we ended Mark chapter 5, back in May or June. Jesus cast out demons, healed the sick, so on. Some people accept Jesus, while others rejected him outright. In today's passage, as we turn to Mark chapter 6, Mark turns to Jesus' return to Nazareth. It's the place that he'd been raised with his family and probably spent around 25, 28 years of his life. 
this time, Jesus had been ministering around Galilee for some time. And surely many of those, uh, many of his exploits had made their way back to his, this little town, his hometown of about 500 people. They most likely had heard of his healings and his miracles, his arguments with the religious leaders and the massive crowds that followed him. However, as he returns to Nazareth, there is no ticker tape parade. There's no warm homecoming reception. There's no backyard barbecue for this hometown hero, this local boy made good. Let's read the passage, Mark chapter 6. Let's look at the first six verses. Mark writes that Jesus went away from there, speaking of Capernaum, where he was uh, before, and he came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him, and on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Verse 3, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and to his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went out among the villages teaching. Father, just make this passage come alive. Events from 2,000 years ago, Father, sometimes see the fog of history, it's difficult for us to read and understand and even put ourselves right there in that first century, but allow us to do so this morning. Make it come alive through your Spirit. Speak to our hearts. Let us see the truth. Let us see ourselves, and Lord, let us respond to the Holy Spirit's work, that you may be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to make some observations before we get into where I think we need to plant in this passage. Coming back from Capernaum, where he had performed many wonderful works, he comes to Nazareth. Jesus is not returning for a family visit. They didn't get along too well, it looks like. But he's coming back as a rabbi, a teacher who's accompanied by his disciples, his followers. He had been accepted and respected almost everywhere. He had welcomed with open arms, except from a few Gentiles, some Jewish leaders and religious leaders. In many ways, Jesus is that local boy made good. Nazareth, as you may recall, is a very small village of only around 500 people, not a big town. Other than reference to Jesus, it is never mentioned in the Old Testament, or other religious writings and Jewish history. It truly was an unremarkable and forgettable village. Jesus, though, changed all of that. He was its greatest and most well-known resident. Jesus returns and visits the local synagogue, which was his practice. As we see, that was the practice of Paul and the rest of the disciples. The Jewish custom at that time at a local synagogue was to allow the visiting teacher to speak after the scripture reading in order to give an exposition of the text or to explain its meaning. This probably was the first time that he was heard by his neighbor and townsfolk. Most likely they had a desire to hear him in order to see what is all this fuss? What is he talking about? What is all these stories? Now as Jesus begins to teach, though Mark doesn't tell us what he's teaching, the people of Nazareth begin to respond with hostility. 
And you find that as you look back through that passage, they start asking questions like, where did this man get these things? There seems to be astonishment and wonderment. Where is he getting these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How can he know such things? And how are such mighty works done by his hands? And now that might seem like a wonderment and say, wow, how is he so good? How is he so wise? But yet you start to see the skepticism come as they continue to question. They'd never heard a man speak like this with such authority and spiritual insight. But yet they were still skeptical and asking actually derogatory questions that belittled Jesus. They asked questions, well, is this not the carpenter? Isn't this the... And Jesus probably was the town carpenter at one time. That's what Joseph, his, his adopted father, had done. He taught it to him. And remember, Jesus didn't begin his ministry till 30. So probably during his teens and 20s, he was the town carpenter. How can the carpenter, how can this local guy have such wisdom? Is this not the son of Mary? And I think some gossip is still persisting even after 30 years. Is Jesus an illegitimate son? Can anyone accept the story that Mary was actually a virgin? So there's that derogatory statement. Was he illegitimate? Is he not the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? Isn't he just like these other kids? They're still living here among us and are not his sisters still with us? He's just like us. How in the world could he? He has no special training. He went to no special schools. In essence, they're asking, who are you to teach us? Let me ask you, have you ever tried to give advice to those you grew up with, family and friends, co-workers and neighbors, and find resistance, and find that they always don't want to take your word? Well, the townsfolk here took offense at not only what Jesus said, but really who they thought he was. In verse 4, Jesus responds with a Jewish and a Greek proverb that's close into meaning with the modern proverb that we use, familiarity breeds contempt, which just means that the better we know people, the more likely we are to find fault with them. We struggle accepting them. They could not appreciate Jesus. They could not appreciate his ministry and his miracles. You might recall that Jesus' disciple, Nathaniel, who said in response to hearing that Jesus from, was from Nazareth, replied, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I almost think that there must have been some low self-esteem and maybe even some self-loathing coming from the Nazareth. They couldn't believe that something so wise could come from themselves. Claiming to know Jesus, they displayed their ignorance of his true identity. The saddest part of this whole narrative is found in those last two verses, four, 5 and 6, where Mark writes that Jesus could not do any wondrous works except a few healings, and that their unbelief kept them from receiving more blessings. Now, it would probably be helpful for us to truly understand this passage is to quickly review Luke's account of this incident to fully understand why they were so angry. So I'm going to ask you, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Luke chapter 4. And in Luke chapter 4, 16 through 21, Luke gives us a little bit more of account of what's going on here. Now let's read verse 16. And he came, speaking of Jesus Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These are wonderful words. These are words that many, would, as soon as they heard from Isaiah, would know it's speaking of the Messiah. But we'll go on in verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant. And Jesus sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in all your hearing. In essence here, Jesus is telling them that he is the Messiah that he is the Christ, the promised seed of Abraham, the deliverer of Israel. This was a huge saying, and this would be something that would blow their mind. Jesus, the hometown hero, the, old, the, young, the local boy, the one who many might have thought was still illegitimate, was saying, I am the Messiah. Here he is in Nazareth. Jesus is telling him that the promise of God has been residing among them for a quarter of a century or more, and they were not even aware of it. At first, Luke tells us in verse 22 that all spoke well of him, and they marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. They must have been thinking, wow, he's the Messiah? And he's speaking eloquently. He doesn't tell us more what he was saying, but he's saying it's fulfilled. However, that was about to change when Jesus continued to teach that the blessing of God would move to the Gentiles instead of the Jewish people. In response, when they heard that now, just as in the Old Testament, where God blessed Gentiles instead of the Jews, and he brought them into judgment, it says they responded, they sought to kill Jesus by throwing him off a cliff but he escaped from their clutches. There's some points to ponder about why they were so angry and why they rejected who Jesus was. So I want to give you three points to ponder as we go on this morning. The first point is the rejection of Jesus is due to their unbelief. The rejection of Jesus is due to their unbelief. Though they were astonished at his teaching, though it was, it was wonderful and they were gracious words, they could not understand how this man who grew up in this little town could know and teach such things. They could not believe that Jesus was Messiah or that his message was true. It cannot be so. Their rejection of Jesus was based on their bias of who and what they thought the Messiah would do. You see, the Messiah was the deliverer of Israel. He would deliver them from the Romans and from the Gentile domination that had dominated Israel's life since the days of Nebuchadnezzar. But yet here, Jesus is saying that the blessing of Abraham is now going to move for a time being on to the Gentiles. Now for you and I standing on this side of history, we say, duh, did not God promise that to Abraham, that it's through the family of Abraham and through his children, the seed, that all nations would be blessed? But to them, their idea of the Messiah had become so convoluted and so Jewish ethnic and so prideful that they could not see it. And for them, for Jesus to say that, they could not believe what he said and they rejected it outright. It was based 
on their pride of being Jewish. No, we are God's chosen people. We are the ones that He will bless. And those, all those things are true. We are the apple of His eye, Scripture says, of, of the Jewish people. But yet Jesus was trying to say something a little bit different. For then they could not handle that. The rejection of Jesus was also based on Jesus' heritage and who they thought he was. Hey, he's just probably the illegitimate child of Mary. Maybe Joseph the father, maybe he's not. We don't know. He's got some grand story. Hey, wait a second. He's just, he's just the older brother. He's just a carpenter. There's no way that he could be the Messiah. They also based on his message was not what they expected. If the Messiah was going to come to Nazareth, he was ready to raise up an army. His thing should have said, it's fulfilled in you today. Go get your pitchforks. Go get your sickles. Go get your swords. Get ready. We're ready to create a revolution. That's not what Jesus was coming to preach. Their unbelief can be summed up by their ignorance, really, of Scripture. And I believe that's why many people today reject Jesus, because they do not understand Scripture. They truly did not understand the promises of God and the mission of the Messiah. They did not understand their own scriptures. And so they rejected Christ because of their unbelief. The second point is the rejection of Jesus had serious consequences. Let me tell you, you cannot reject Jesus and think you're going to escape any consequences. It had serious consequences for them. The power, the consequences of their unbelief is going to lead to the very thing that they were upset about in Jesus' message. You see, their unbelief would lead to judgment and rejection of the Jewish people for a time. It would include a lack of blessing, the very thing that Jesus says, then we go to others. Paul would say, now we move to the Gentiles. The very thing that they rejected Jesus for, his message was the very thing that came to be. You might remember the scripture reading that Randy had read earlier in John chapter 3, when Jesus told Nicodemus that God gave his only son and whoever believes in him should not perish, right, amen, but have eternal life. And that whoever does not believe in Jesus, though, is condemned because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Peter preached after the ascension of Jesus that Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you and that there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we may be saved. Their rejection of Christ by rejecting Jesus, they themselves have been rejected by God and now will face eternal judgment. That was facing the town of Nazareth. And that's what faces everyone who rejects who Jesus is, who rejects his ministry and his mission. Not only were there internal consequences, there was also temporal consequences. Mark tells us that Jesus went away from Nazareth performing just a few healings and never ever came back. Even in a village of only 500 people, there had to be many more that could have used some healing from physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. We see the gospel, especially in Jesus' early ministry, is filled with healing those that needed it. But their unbelief prevented Jesus from working. Not that he couldn't, but that he wouldn't. He chose to go on to the next village and to preach. Theologian Walter Wessel notes 
that one of the great emphasis in Mark, and you may recall this as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, but one of the greatest emphasis of Mark's Gospel is that Jesus performs His miracles in response to faith. Whether it was the woman who responded and touched the helm of Jesus to the Gentile who came and said, Would you heal my daughter? In response to faith, Jesus is working. And so the rejection of Jesus had serious consequences, not only in the earthly realm, but eternal. And let me tell you, if you reject Jesus today, that's very true of you. And number three, the rejection of Jesus foreshadows, it points to the future rejection of Jesus by Israel. The prophet Isaiah wrote hundreds of years earlier that Jesus the Messiah would be despised and rejected by men, that he would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and he would be as one from whom men would hide their faces, for he was despised and we esteemed him not. The writer of 2 Chronicles observes in chapter 36 that the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to Israel, to them, by his messengers, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words, scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. And see, there's a danger. It's pointing to a rejection of Jesus that would be final for many. Jesus would later condemn the religious leaders for continuing in the traditions of their fathers. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 23 if you would. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus is giving what we call the four woes to the Pharisees. Days before he's going to go to the cross. In Matthew chapter 3, looking at verse 29. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you build the tombs of the prophets, and you decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. In other words, they would say to those in the Chronicles, Oh, we're not going to be like them. Verse 31, Jesus, though, says, Thus you have written against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He says, you're no better than your fathers. Condemning the Pharisees in Jerusalem, Jesus was only days away from the crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and our children. This simple rejection by his hometown, 500 villagers or so, foreshadows the rejection that Jesus would have at Jerusalem. And I believe it also foreshadows the rejection of many in this world today. For there still are people who are saying, crucify him, crucify him. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Nazareth's rejection of one of its own 
is not unique. Yet even this rejection was part of God's plan. Peter, in his sermon to those in Jerusalem, is recorded in Acts chapter 4. He thunders in his message that the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Their rejection is not unique. So before we condemn his hometown for doing what we have done uh, throughout history, we must recognize we are all in the same boat. We've already read of the problems Jesus had with his family. Before this, they, they came to him, they tried to take him away, they thought he was crazy, he was out of his mind, and he was out of control. Eventually, many of Jesus' own followers, those who followed him and sat at his feet, would wind up rejecting him and leaving him. So where does that leave us today? Rejection is part of it. They reject Jesus because they don't believe. They reject Jesus because there has serious consequences. And it foreshadows God's plan. But even today, people reject Jesus. They reject the man. They reject his ministry and his message. Let me tell you today, what's happening today is the same as what happened 2,000 years ago. Unbelief reigns today in the heart of many. You work with those who reject Christ. You break bread with those who reject Christ. You may be married to someone who rejects Christ. Your family may reject Christ. Your neighbors may reject Christ. And we have to realize that rejecting Christ has serious consequences. Yet the good news is that God died to help them through that rejection. Their unbelief causes them to reject His works, His claims, His message of salvation. Some in their heart even seek to crucify Jesus again, wishing that they could squelch His truth and His saving power. But like his neighbors in Nazareth and the crowds of Jerusalem, they cannot silence him. They can kill him, but they cannot keep him in the ground. They cannot stop him. The Holy Spirit continues to advance the gospel of Jesus one heart at a time. The kingdom of God continues to grow, providing salvation, protection, and shelter for all who seek her. Hence why ours is, is developing lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God. We would call you to join in that today. Let me end it with this. If you're a Christian, if you're here today and you're one that have accepted the message of Christ, then your challenge is to share that message with others. Many who are going to reject it. However, maybe you are suffering from familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe as you share the gospel, there are many who will not listen to you and they reject what you have to say. Maybe you're struggling with family and friends and neighbors and co-workers who do not take you seriously or try to find fault with your witness. They know you, they know who you are, and they struggle with that. And there may be good reasons for that. There may be good reasons why they don't accept it for you. Maybe your witness and lifestyle do not match up. Or maybe they still remember the person you once were. Or they struggle to accept you because of your relationship with them. If it's your past, then share with them how God has rescued you. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, the second greatest story is your own story, is your testimony. I've shared with you that there are many people today, if they were to, to get on the website, if they Googled my name and came to see that I was a pastor, they would say, you're a pastor? I never would have thought that. There are many who, if they were to hear a message or hear me come and speak to them, they would kind of have that rejection. I know who Rob was. Why? Because my, my past showed what type of person I was. I was not one who was living a Christian lifestyle. They would reject me all right and say, you're just a hypocrite. We have that all the time. But we need to recognize that we have to share with people that we're a new creature. The things that we did in the past are past. God has made all things new. If it is sin, then you need to cry out like David, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. You need to confess your sin and then share how God has restored you. You may have to rehabilitate your name and your reputation in order to receive a hearing. There are many of us in that way. We need to live the walk. Let me ask you this. Let me share with you this. If it's personal, they just have a hard time accepting counsel because of your relationship. Father, son, mother, daughter, husband, wife, brother, sister. Then continue to pray for them and love them. I remember when I was young, my father wasn't saved. I remember one time in particular, we were driving and we happened to be having a conversation. And at that time, I finally started to get my life right. Wasn't married yet, so it wasn't complete. But, you know, I'm still trying to get myself and I'm trying to share. And my dad just, boom. That's it. That's how he responded. Boom. That was it. I, you know, just didn't do it anymore. You know, the relationship was too familiar. Uh, I'm his son. You know, have you ever had that where you try to tell somebody something, but your relationship, because of who you are, you know, that familiarity breeds contempt, you know, and that type of thing. And, and I struggled. It, it wound up having to be somebody else. I had to plant and someone else had to water while God gave the increase. I remember my brother Steve, he began a ministry uh, and he had addictions and his life was a mess and finally God brought him through. And I remember as he was trying, he started the small Sunday school and he tried to share with her, hey, I got right with God. There were so many people who could not trust him because they knew he came from a Christian school. He said he was a Christian, but his life didn't match it. There were many people of his friends who said, yeah, yeah, I know you. You, you want to join me? You know, and he had a hard time with that. He had actually a hard time with the church because everybody at the church knew him and knew what happened to him, and so they had struggles with them even accepting his ministry. I remember he had struggled with, my other brother started to come back to the faith, and I had one brother that just said, you know what, I'm not going to Steve's program. He's my brother. You know, I'm not going to listen to what my brother has to say. So you know what I'm saying, sometimes there are going to be relationships in which when we try to share Christ, when we try to share our faith, there's going to be things that they're going to reject. It could be because of the person we were and they don't realize what Christ has done of us. It could be because we're not living a Christ-like life. They see the hypocrisy and they reject it outright. And it could be just the fact that, hey, your relationship is so close, they may take advice from someone else. Have you ever noticed that? But at parents, you know this. You know exactly what I'm talking if you're a parent. You tell your child something and they don't believe you, and then someone else tells them that they believe it. I used to work for pastors like that. I would tell them, well, this is what we need to do. And they just rejected outright. 
So what I learned is I learned who influenced them. And so I would go to them, tell them, and then they would do it. And I'd be sitting in a meeting and he would say, oh, well, John Doe said we ought to do this. And I'm thinking, that's a great idea. You know, there was that familiarity there type of thing. There was that relationship type of thing. I say it jokingly, but, but it's true. You see what's happening with Jesus. Not in the fact that he was a sinner and he would. Probably the problem with Jesus was they remembered how good he was. There's probably some that rejected him outright because this is Jesus. This is a kid who never did any wrong. The good question is, if Jesus was a carpenter, did he ever mess up on wood? Did he always drive the nail straight in? I don't know. Let's, let's go on. That has nothing to do with it. So that's what our Bible study will be about Thursday night. Did Jesus ever mess up on a nail? I don't know. But if it's personal and they have a hard time, then we just need to pray and love them. We can't push it. We can't shove it down their throats. And this time Jesus realized, what is he going to do? He had to walk away. Now I pray that many in that village would come and know Jesus at a later time. There could have been. We don't know. I'm never going to say rejection is complete. There are some that you have been witnessing to for years, and you're just ready to give up. I pray don't. We've prayed for my dad for almost 30 years. And to be honest, I've shared with you over the times that I stopped praying. I figured it was done. He rejected every overture. He rejected every given of testimony. But then one day he calls me up in October and says, Rob, guess what? I got saved. What? If my brother had not called me beforehand to tell me, I would not have believed it. He called me and said, Rob, you're not going to believe this. And my dad was so excited. Who would have thought? I had given up. I'm just, I, I was sinful. I, I gave up. There were times that we would do, oh, Lord, just would you? But I knew it wasn't going to come through me. It wasn't going to come through that type of avenue. It wasn't going to come through anything. It actually came through a visiting pastor at the church because he wasn't going to accept anybody, other, other pastor. That's going to happen. So rejection is not final. So we need to pray that God would change their hearts. So if you're a Christian, and if there's a reason that they're doing it, if it's because of your past, share with them your story, how God has changed you. If it's because of the lifestyle, repent of it. Share them of that and learn to rehabilitate. It may take you some time to gain back that respect, their respect for you. If it's because of relationship, just pray and love them. Pray that God will plant and water and that God will give the increase. But let me end with this. If you're not a Christian, if you're here today and you have not accepted Jesus, up to this point you have rejected it, then I'm going to plead with you. Would you accept it today? Don't walk out in unbelief. If anything, because it has serious consequences, both temporarily and in eternity. The Bible tells us the point for man wants to die. And after that comes the judgment. It tells us that all have sinned and that the penalty of that sin is death. But the good news is that Jesus came to pay the penalty of our sin, to deliver us from the power of sin, and has promised to return in order to to bring us back to heaven with him. All you must do today is confess who Jesus is, to intellectually accept his name, his ministry, and his works. To accept by faith is means to trust that God has accepted the work of Christ on our behalf, 
They could not accept that. We need to do so today. The Scripture tells us that with the heart one believes and is justified, made right with God, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me ask you this morning, who do you say Jesus is? Are you offended at the words of Christ? Are you offended at the man, the ministry, and the message? If so, I would pray that you would fall down and see that that unbelief, as one character in the New Testament said, help my unbelief. We need that. Let me leave you with this warning. In 1 John, John warns, Who is the liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. He who denies the Father and the Son, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. And then let me give you some last words of warning. Just in case some of you think you're going to get out of here scot-free without any wrinkling of your toes, let me share is that some of you are rejecting the Word of God and rejecting the ministry of certain people because familiarity breeds contempt. You and I do the same with our family when we do not accept their wise counsel and advice. We do it with our friends. We don't want to listen to what they have to share. And this is a little bit self-serving, but I'm going to share it anyway, is that some of you have done that with your pastors and your teachers. When you hear the same pastor for 10 plus years, I'm coming on to 10 years, you hear him in Sunday school in small groups, all of a sudden it breeds such a familiarity that you no longer listen. The pitch and tenor of my voice puts you to sleep or puts you in la-la land. And I know some of you have said that during my preaching, you get the best nap of your life. And I'm glad that that happens. But I encourage you and challenge you to be very, very careful. Because many times we see that people are rejecting their pastors and their teachers. They reject their preaching and teaching. They reject their counsel. They reject their ministry and their service. They reject the help and the service of the pastor and their teachers and elders. Why? Because I know him. The more you know me, the, the more you'll see all my warts and wrinkles. We've had people leave the church because they've gotten back to how sausage is made and they just can't handle it. There's others who will be here and say, you know what? I need something different. Let me tell you, that's not what God has called you to do. So I want to challenge you. Don't reject the message and the ministry because of familiarity that breeds contempt. Don't allow that to squeeze into the church life. See it as fresh and new. And when it gets to where my voice is putting you to sleep, then pray that God will help you get past. Maybe we need to pass out Red Bulls as we walk into the sanctuary. I want to challenge you, do not let that happen in our own church, in our own life. But above all, let us never reject Christ. And let me tell you, the reason why we need to share Christ is because number two, there's serious consequences. Let's pray that God would give us the courage and the strength to continue on even when we struggle. I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every head closed, you just take a moment to pause, to consider and to pray and respond. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with someone in your life, they're rejecting you, is it past sins? Is it the fact that your life is not matching up with your words? Is it the fact that it's just a relationship that's preventing them from hearing what you have to say? 
and put it to God. If you're here today and you haven't yet accepted Christ, would you do so? Would you just say, I want to follow Christ today. I'm making that decision. No longer will I reject him, but I'm going to accept what he's done for me. Would you do so this morning? Father, it's in your goodness that you've given us your word. And Father, there's a part of me that's just, it's sad to hear that Nazareth rejects Jesus. And I pray that there was many who afterwards were called by the Spirit to accept their hometown son. But Father, I pray for our church here this morning. For we may be facing the same issue of where we're trying to share the message, but yet they're rejecting you. And in the rejection of you, it feels as if they're rejecting us. Let us not be discouraged, but let us be faithful in sharing the gospel. Let us not be held back by our heritage or by the things that we've done, guilt and shame and, the, and things that just continue your mind, but let us realize those are things are all under the cross, all under the blood. And Lord, may we be faithful in sharing the gospel. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith@orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.